reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel is broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. If you were to read through the book of Ecclesiastes with a highlighter in hand, you would discover very quickly the exercise actually takes about 15 to 20 minutes, depending on how fast you can read, that variations on this theme, vanity of vanities, occur about 30 times in this little book. As we said a, a few weeks ago, the phrase is very closely related to that used in James chapter 4, verse 14. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And the Hebrew word that's translated vanity throughout the book, contrary to some modern translations, is not best translated meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. That's not Solomon's point, and that's not the point that the Spirit wants us to take from this book. Truly nothing is really meaningless. But everything, according to Solomon, and even according to the Apostle James, is temporary. Our lives are a mist, they are a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And when Solomon is saying vanity of vanities, he's saying mist of mist or breath of breath. All is breath and striving to catch the wind. And that's not surprising when you consider that in addition to vanity of vanities and its variations being used 30 times in this relatively short book, there's another expression, under the sun, or under heaven, or on the earth, mostly under the sun, and it occurs almost an equal number of times, about 30 in the course of the book. So it's not surprising then that Solomon makes this conclusion, vanity of vanities, temporary, temporary, everything is temporary, when we understand that he is looking at life from this perspective, a life that is lived under the sun, in this world, a life that has no focus on things to come or the life that may come after. And then it's not only somewhat true, it's, it's just 
obvious, really. All is vanity and a striving after wind. Hence the expression that you don't hear much anymore, you only live once, or YOLO, as some of you, you know who you are, used to say. The thing is, those who truly believe that you only live once, that you are born into this world and you live maybe your three score and ten or maybe even four score years and then you die and you're finished, it's over, there is no more. To those who truly believe that this life is all there is and that when you're dead, you're just dead, it really can't matter at all if you are good or bad right or wrong, a saint or a sinner, because in the end, you're just compost. And that really shouldn't bother you either, because, well, it's the circle of life. As Elton John once sang, it's the wheel of fortune. And of course, it's worth remembering that the book of Ecclesiastes was written by a man who, by that time in his life, was very cynical, very jaded about everything that had happened to him, everything that he had done. So if you are a young adult here, or a child, or an older adult for that matter, don't let Solomon's perspective get you down. Instead, learn from it. That's why it's in the Bible. Learn from it as Solomon did. Learn from it as I believe he desired that his sons would learn from it. And whether you are old or young, then you discover that there's a perspective that we can bring to life that reaches beyond these vanities, these temporary pleasures, these things that so occupy our time as we walk around on the face of this earth. And once we've recognized that, the first thing that we need to do is to rejoice in this life because it is the blessing of God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 7 and 8, Solomon said, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Rejoice in all the years that God gives you in this world. Give thanks for them. Verse 9, 2. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Or if you prefer a New Testament apostle to an Old Testament king, Paul simply wrote, Rejoice always, which is pretty definitive if you stop to think about it. In other words, enjoy life while you have it, Enjoy it especially while you are young and you have the strength to go about enjoying it. This too is a gift from God. Take it. Take all the blessings that God may give you in this life. Family and friends and loved ones and all of the beautiful things that we get for this short time that we live in this world and rejoice in them. Not only rejoice in them, be generous with them. Ecclesiastes 11, 1 to 4 reads, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. And Solomon is not suggesting that soggy bread is good. This is Solomon's version of pay it forward. As he wrote in Proverbs 19, verse 17, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. That's how we cast our bread on the waters. And he, the Lord, will repay him, the one who lended to the poor, 
for his deed. Solomon is saying, rejoice in the good gifts that God has given and be generous in sharing them. Really, he's saying that because you don't know how long you're going to be around to share them and what would be the point of hoarding them up? Like that man in the parable that Jesus told who said, I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many days. And Jesus said that night, God came to him and said, you fool. This night, your life, your soul is required of you. So what's the point in hoarding? What's the point in hanging on to these good things that God has given? Solomon goes on to say, give a portion to seven or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. What's the point in keeping all of these things stored away? And then, I don't know, a flood comes along. And your basement fills with water. And all that good stuff that you had down there just gets swept away. What's the point? You do not know what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. That's the way of the world. He who observes the wind will not sow. There's got to be a more fortuitous time. The, the conditions aren't just right. I, I don't think it's time to plant. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. Even so, do not be anxious about anything, is what Solomon is getting at. And I'm borrowing another phrase from the Apostle Paul. Give generously. Don't worry about, well, if I share this with someone else, I may not have enough for myself. Don't even worry about it. He who lends to the Lord is going to be paid back by the Lord. Give generously. Receive graciously. And I want to say very often that's the hardest part. We, 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 a lot of us anyway, we don't have a problem giving. Somebody asks and you just give. But when we have a need, we have a problem letting people know that, hey, there's something going on in my life, and I think the gifts that God has given you, if you were wanting to be a good steward of those, you could help me out. And somebody gives to us, and we're kind of, oh, yeah, no, thanks. I, I really don't, I don't need it. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I don't take charity? <laughs> Give generously and receive graciously. That's how this works. Hold all of God's blessings with open hands. And I feel like I've heard Pastor Matt say that so often that I should give him credit for the phrase. It's not trademarked, but he says that about as often as I say God always keeps his promises. Hold all of God's blessings with open hands and rejoice in them while you have them and then be thankful for them even when they are gone because one day they will be gone. If I go back to verse 8 and I read the whole of the verse, if a person lives many years, let, them, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vapor. All that comes is vanity. All that comes is a breath. All that comes merely appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And we need to remember that. Because as thankful as we are for the blessings that God puts into our hands, as Job said, the Lord 
gives and the Lord takes away. And the most important part of that equation is on the other side. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord who gave. Blessed be the name of the Lord who took away. Thank you, God, for all of the amazing gifts that you have given. And Father, thank you that I have the recollection of those amazing gifts. And I have the expectation that what lies ahead, what you will give in the end, will be better than anything that I have received in this life. Give generously, receive graciously, hold everything with open hands. Remember, nothing in this life will last. And these verses also speak of consequences for the choices we make. Again, the full text of verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. If you are a young woman, you too should rejoice in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Whether the ways of your heart or the sight of your eyes, Solomon knew this very, very well. He knew what it was to pursue the desires of his heart, even when they led him astray. He knew what it was to covet to see something and to say, I must have that. And if we let the ways of our heart or the sight of our eyes lead us away from the Lord our God, for all these things God will bring you into judgment. In spite of that, rejoice and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. But since everything that we do in this life is done before the face of God. Verse 10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vapor. They are vanity. And I want to read that to you from a different translation. It's an English translation of a Greek translation, the Septuagint, which really gets at the heart of what Solomon is saying here a little better. He says, remove anger. I put it in the wrong one. Ignore what's on the screen and listen. <laughs> Remove anger from your heart. When he says vexation, he's talking about anger. Remove that from your heart and lead evil from your flesh. Not physical pain, but evil. Remove anger from your heart and lead evil from your flesh for youth and folly are vanity. In other words, Solomon is saying, you know what? When the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes lead you astray, repent. Because in the light of that second clause, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity, they are vapor, it seems unlikely that that first clause is essentially saying, don't worry, be happy. Quite the opposite. Since youth and the dawn of life are vanity, since eventually our strength fades and fails us, along with everything else under the sun, then we are called to put away to remove anger and evil, those things that we so easily stumble into when we follow the ways of our heart and the sight of our eyes. So rejoice, Solomon says, rejoice in all the blessings, all the good things that God gives you in this world. And remember, first of all, that those things are temporary. And remember that if you get too focused on them, they can easily lead you astray and when you remember that, if you see it going on, then repent. 
But repentance is a turning, and it can't consist in just turning from something. When we turn from something, we are turning to something. And Solomon has that covered as well. Chapter 12, verse 1, at the beginning of the text that Peter read for us a few minutes ago, remember also your creator. Remember the temporary status of everything that we have in this world. Remember that it's all going away. Remember what Solomon said earlier in the book when he told us that the things that we remember are going to be forgotten by the people who might remember us for a little while, and then that's going to be forgotten too. Remember that everything is temporary. Remember there is one thing in this universe that is not temporary. One thing that is fixed and permanent. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. If you are here and you are in the days of your youth, I'm not going to talk about chronological age here, but if you are here and you are in the days of your youth, trust some of us who have walked this road before you. Remember your creator now. It's easier to do when you're young. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the ears draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And what follows in the rest of that text that Peter read is simply a description of what it can be like or feel like to grow old. There's some of us here who know this from experience and I'm not going to get into all, well, the grinders are your teeth and the windows are your eyes and all of that is likely true. But I don't think Solomon meant it to be analyzed that. He said, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, if you have been living exclusively for this world, when those years draw near, you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors and the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird. You don't sleep very well. And all the daughters of song are brought low. There's no joy in some of the things that we once found joy in. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. One commentator says that refers to our hair turning white, like a blossom. Um, in some people's case, the almond tree blossoms, and in other people's case, the leaves just fall, I guess. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along. That one's a hard expression. It could mean the grasshopper becomes a burden. You used to lead cattle. Now you're finding it difficult to lead the grasshopper. And desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. All of those Symbols speak of water, which in scripture is very often kind of a symbol of life. We hear about it all the time, the river of the water of life. And Solomon says there comes this point when the water that symbolizes your life is kind of running dry 
and you know that the end is near, verse 7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. I don't have time to dwell on it, but if you go back and read through Ecclesiastes again, earlier in the book, Solomon says, who knows whether the spirit of man ascends or just goes down into the earth like the spirit of animals. Well, here he had come to a conclusion. We are not animals. When we die, life is not over. It's not all there is. Our spirits do not go down into the ground with our bodies. At least for those who trust in Christ, the Spirit returns to God who gave it. So as one commentator has written, we come to the fall of a great house. Solomon brings us to this extended analogy depicting the problems associated with the onslaught of old age. He compares the body falling apart to the distress of a great house in increasing disrepair. And don't we know it? And then one last time, with all of the feeling that the old king could muster as he looked at his own body falling apart and the end of his life drawing near, Solomon says, if this is all there is, if this is all there is to life, then vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Everything is a vapor then truly I guess life would be meaningless, except it wouldn't, because God will bring into judgment those that have chosen to live in rebellion against him. And all is not lost either if we remember our creator, if we know the Lord our God, whether we know him in the days of youth or whenever we hear his call, for the words of the wise are like goads, a stick, with a pointy end that they used to use to drive animals in front of them. The words of the the wise are like that. God's word drives us and leads us. They're like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. And then that curious expression, they are given by one shepherd. Commenting on this verse, the old Puritan Matthew Henry wrote, that which is written and thus recommended to us is of divine origin. Though it comes to us through various hands, yet it is given by one and the same shepherd, the great shepherd of Israel that leads Joseph like a flock. He goes on, God is that one shepherd whose good spirit inspired and assists in opening and applying the scriptures. These words of the wise, the words of Solomon, the words of David, the words of Lemuel, the words of the sons of Asaph, all of these words of the wise are the true sayings of God on which we may rest our souls. The word of God is that solid foundation that leads us to our creator and to our king And to our Savior, that place where we can stand in spite of all of the turbulence and the vicissitudes of this life. Now, of course, Solomon went on to write, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And indeed, this is the end of the matter. When the one shepherd, the Lord our God, has spoken then all has been heard. 
He talks a little bit more, you can read it on your own, about how to the making of books there is no end and don't get led astray by those things. Because when God has spoken, you've really heard all you need to hear. The thing is, the one shepherd known under the old covenant as the Lord, the one shepherd of his people Israel, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, Jesus Christ our Savior. And this is his commandment, wrote the Apostle John, that we believe, that we trust in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Indeed, John would later write, this is love for God. What does it mean to love God? This is love for God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. This is the same Jesus, the good shepherd, who said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And this above all is the answer to the vanity, to the vapor-like nature of life in this world. Because Jesus went on from that point to say, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There is an eternity to this relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's why the commandment of God is trust Jesus, believe in his name, and then love one another, love as you have been loved. Jesus went on, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Under the sun, then, all is vanity and striving after wind. Under the sun, in the sky, everything is just temporary and vapor-like, and it disappears in a flash. But in the sun, S-O-N, in and through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our life is not lived in this world exclusively We've been born again. We have received eternal life. We have this new and living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we have been born to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Compare that promise of God to the words of the pundit Solomon, who told us that in this world, everything is vanity and striving after wind. But in Jesus Christ, we have been born to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So here truly is the end of the matter. Fear God. If you believe in him, if you trust in him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, then reverence him. Worship him in spirit and in truth. Stand in awe before his grace and all that he has done in creating this world and in making us to be his children. If you do not yet trust in Jesus Christ, then just fear him. Because one day God will bring everything into judgment. 
And the only way that we cannot be afraid of the outcome of that judgment is if we fully understand and believe that the very one who will act as our judge is the same one who paid it all with his precious blood. I have no fear of Jesus judging me when I understand that everything he might judge me for is all the same stuff that he has personally paid for. So fear God, reverence him, worship him, keep his commandments, believe, trust in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, for this is the whole duty of man. May we pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you that you did not leave us to the vanity and the despair of this world that's broken by sin. Instead, at just the right time, you sent your son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem us from the curse of the law, and that in him we might be made your righteousness, that we might come to that place through faith in Christ and no merit of our own, where you look at us and you say, I don't see a sinner. I see my son. Father, help us to trust in you always, to understand that our salvation is only in and through your grace in Christ Jesus. And help us to live in such a way that we proclaim that grace to the world around, to our families and friends and others, everyone that you bring into our way. And Lord, work in every one of us here and those who may be online or joining later through recordings. Work in all of us what is pleasing to you through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.